Welcome, guys. It's your favorite football show, the Clean Tackles Podcast. I'm your host, Chike. And with the crew today, we'll be talking about Liverpool's draw with Manchester United. We'll also be looking back at last Monday that saw Nigeria win big at the CAF Awards. And of course, we'll have an early look at the Champions League round of 16 draws. As usual, before we kick things off, let's check in with the crew. Uh, Dotun, how's your, your dirty December going? And what role did you play in that horrible, horrible traffic on Saturday night? Everyone was jam-packed. I couldn't move. And I knew it was your group. <laughs> okay, on so, the island. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, I'll start with a good... Uh, i start with a bit of good news. So, um, okay. I actually got promoted at work on Friday. Nice. Ooh. Nice, nice. Come I was out on man. Fridays, out on Saturday. I was out on Sunday as well. And I resumed back at work this morning. Nice, uh, But yeah, it was it was it was good. Um, Lagos is bubbling. Lagos is bubbling. Everybody's having time with their lives, man. If you work hard from January to December, at least you should flex more, Abby. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Bio, what's up? Uh, I don't think you had a chance to flex. You said you were down with uh, a bit of malaria over the weekend. But how are you recovering? And um, how are you in general? Yeah, first of all, uh, congrats to Doctor on his promotion. Uh, so I think he knows what he needs to do. <laughs> yeah, he knows what he needs to do. Yes, yeah. he does. Don't worry, he, he does. He does. Yeah, he does. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm recovering <laughs> well. Yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was down for most of the weekend, but I'm recovering now. Um, off work for the rest of the year as well so uh probably will also be causing some traffic on the island if, if we have our way over the, if we have our way over the coming week uh but generally just good there's plenty of time to there's plenty of time to uh, enjoy the festivities and definitely i'll, we'll be, look, I'll be looking to get in on that yeah, it's necessary. Like Dr. said, if you work hard from January to December, it's very essential that you, you know, unwind. So, yeah, um, good luck with all the shenanigans that will go on over the, <laughs> the coming weeks. Um, anyway, to football, to football, to football, uh, let's start at the Etihad, where once again, Manchester City failed to win. Olise. It's happened again. Three home games in a row. The Blues have given up two points late on. Well, you could not see that coming. Two attempts on target from Palace, and they've denied City two points. I think a few weeks ago we discussed their lack of rootlessness when it comes to seeing out games. And we were specific with, you know, the problem, you know, it wasn't like an attacking problem per se. It was more of a defensive issue. Uh, this weekend, they were in cruise control over Crystal Palace. And I actually lost a bit of interest when I was watching it because I think I was on my phone or something. I just thought, you know, 2-0, they were in total control. At that point, Crystal Palace had no goal, no shot on goal. So I felt like this was just a routine win for them. But, you know, those last 15 minutes... Uh, things changed. Palace pulled one back and it sort of gave them that belief to get another one. And they did get another one. So um, I think now it's eight games in all competitions without a clean sheet for Manchester City. And it's the fourth time in six games that they have considered two or more goals. And it leaves them with just one league win in their last six games, uh, which was a comeback against the quote-unquote mighty Luton Town. 
Bio, what do you think has gone wrong for Manchester City this season in the defensive side of the ball? Because the players, the key players they've lost, were attacking players. So Gundogan, Mares, and of course, uh, Kevin De Bruyne has been out injured for the past three months. But in defense, they've had everyone available. But what has changed? What exactly is the problem? Um, well, I, I think the, if, if you were to compare their form, or if you were to compare their, their, the mainstays of their team from last season, right, with the 11s they currently put out, or they mostly put out this season, I think um, you'd identify that John Stones um, has, you know, has been missing for large periods of the season. And obviously, when when City uh, when they mo- when they moved to that four centre back system, right, where Stones would seamlessly transition from being yeah. a centre back to being an additional midfielder beside Rodri, right? Um, like everybody marvelled at it in terms of the execution, how easy he made it look, how effective it was. Right, and the way it seemed to change their season from about December onwards. Um, so, like I said, Stones has been missing for, for a large period of the season. Then, also, you had Nathan Ake, who was the mate there left back. And if you remember, um, that was the second season at, at City. Um, he had joined the previous season, hadn't like he had seemed like he was neither here nor there, uh, you know. But, for whatever reason, that season he also came to the fore. He had possibly his best season as a Premier League footballer, and he just seemed like a really solid unit of Kyle Walker or Manuel Akonji. You had um, Ruben Diaz, you had John Stones, you had Nitanaki. Um, this season they've had um, Josco Guardiola coming and play left back. Um, I'd say he hasn't he hasn't he hasn't appeared to my eye as solid as Ake did last season. In the same way that Konji hasn't looked, you know, he hasn't he hasn't um, also interpreted the role uh, as effectively as, as I'd say John Stone John Stones did last season. You know, other than trying to pick on trying to identify individuals, with, uh, you know, where where individuals individuals will be getting, I just think that. Uh, Manchester City have won the league three. They've done the three piece. They've won the league three, you know, three times in a row. They are going for, uh, they are going for if possibly a fourth success, successive league win. Uh, what I would say is that it's very difficult to maintain across board the same levels of performance, right? Um, for for that for that kind of yep. stretch, even if you look at teams, even if you look at leagues where, for example, Bayern Munich have won Bundesliga ten times in a row, where Juventus won Serie A nine times in a row, you'll find that you know within those within those stretches, there were seasons where they did not quite reach the heights that they you know that they had set, um, and that gave that gave rivals the chance to take uh to take them to take the title challenge to at least the last day of the season or the last few weeks uh the last couple of weeks during the season so for example if you look at juventus you have um you have i think it was 2016 17 uh where roma took them where roma took them to um the last the last couple of weeks you'd also have 
Um, I believe that was 2017-18. Where I think it was 2017-18. That was Napoli, right? With Sari, uh, Sari Mauricio, Mauricio Sari's Napoli. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you have Bayern Munich. You, you know, with Dortmund, uh, Borussia Dortmund, uh, like the Nelly men, where you know Dortmund would always say, he would always say, like, yes, this could be Borussia Dortmund's year. Uh, you had the season where, uh, what's his name now? The Croatian guy, Niko Kovac, was sacked. Yeah, and Kovac. it seemed like that was Dortmund's. It seemed like that was Dortmund's chance to, uh, to win the league because Bayern had been struggling. I think Dortmund were about a point or two points within a point or two points of Bayern Munich at you know at the halfway at the halfway point in December. Uh, but you know. Come the end of the season, they just were not good enough to punish Bayern's punish Bayern's inconsistency that season. So I think it's just I think it's just something that um, yeah, it's it's difficult to maintain those levels of performance, those levels of consistency uh, for more than for like a three four year period. Okay, Dalton, just to follow up on what Bayer said, I know you've repeatedly said. And, and honestly, it's not just you. Most people think that too. Uh, that Manchester City will go on one of their signature 12 to 15 game winning run in the league and retain the title. Are you still confident about that, or seeing as uh, seeing their performance over the past few weeks has that changed your um, belief in them a bit? No, but not really. I, I think that short term it's a concern. I mean, obviously, if you drop. Um, Points, this, num- this number of points from winning positions in this short period of time, you'll be naturally concern- concerned. But I think long term, it shouldn't be much of a, a problem, especially since they're still so close to the top. Um, I saw a picture, of, picture and video of Kevin De Bruyne in training today. Yeah. Um, that's a big boost for them going forward. Huge as one. Well. I also saw that they were drawn against Copenhagen in the Champions League. So they probably have um, a favorable run of games. Or something like that. So it's mostly around this time every season that they pick up steam. Anyway, so um, I, I think they'll be fine eventually. I mean, even if everything goes wrong or goes bad for them, I don't see them finishing lower than second in the league. I still think they'll win it. I still think they're the best team in the country. I still think they're the best placed team in the country also in terms of quality of the starting team and quality on the bench. Right, we could see that last game they played without Erling Haaland, and nobody has even attributed their failure to see out the game to his absence, right? Because of capable replacements here and there. So, um, because of that singular fact, I would not be bothered long term. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Manchester City they will begin their quest for the FIFA Club World Cup when they face. Asian champions Urawa Red Diamonds in the semi-final tomorrow. That's Tuesday. But next, uh, the Emirates. Uh, Arsenal 2, Brighton 0. And he's released Nketiah. And he spotted the run of Havertz. Could this be the moment? It is! Arsenal surely wrapping up all three points. And surging right back to the top of the Premier League table. It's Arsenal 2, Brighton 0. Brighton have given Arsenal a bit of headache in the past, uh, but not this Sunday, not yesterday. Uh, the Gunners not only won, I think they stopped Brighton from scoring. So, this was the first time in, I believe, 32, 33 games where Brighton had failed to score. 
And for the first time in 49 league games under the Zerbi, uh, they had failed to register a shot on target in the first half. Arsenal, meanwhile, had 15 uh, shots uh, by halfway through the game at half, you know, during halftime or by halftime rather. Uh, so, but Brighton, they almost snatched a point. Uh, Pascal Gross, I think he missed a simple tapping ball. Kai Havers, the, the man on fire right now. Um, he pretty much sealed the game in the 90, sorry, the 87th minute. But what are your thoughts on this win, Dutton, um, on Arsenal's win and then returning to the top of the table? Um, so first, I think it was a statement win for Arsenal. Um, I think they just have one win in their last five against Brighton at the Emirates, um, including cup competition. So they needed to get um, that monkey off their back, which um, they did with relative ease at the end of the day. I think the first half was a bit sticky and was neither um, here nor there. I also think that um, Arsenal, or Brighton rather, had a very good chance to equalise at some point. Um, I think like five minutes just before um, Kai Averett's goal, that's Arsenal's second goal. So it's what happens when you don't take your chances. That's from a Brighton point of view. But I think it was very good for Arsenal, number one, to keep um, one of the best young strikers in the league very quiet. That's mm-hmm. between Gabriel and Sally, but they managed to handle Ivan Ferguson properly. Right? They also managed to limit Brighton's chance creation and all of that, right? They matched their intensity and they actually dominated them. It's not every time that you see that Brighton team get dominated the way they were at the Emirates. So I think it's a statement being for Arsenal that, oh, okay, maybe we might have a bit of um, ups and downs against certain teams and whatnot, but on our day, against any opponents right we are still like up to par and all of that remember we we're speaking um, a couple of weeks ago where we said something about title challengers not playing their best and picking results this mm-hmm. time around they played up to par and they picked like the perfect result so it's a very good one for them because it's not that i said that kayavis has four goals in the last seven games or something like that yeah it's the man on fire right now who will have, who will have that? Yeah, so good one for them. Yeah. Okay. Um, away from the Emirates to Anfield, Liverpool zero, Manchester United zero. So Liverpool were expected to dominate this game, and they did. You know, thirty-four shots, sixty-nine uh, percent possession, and twelve corners. United had zero corners. In fact, I was so sure it was going to be a proper ass kicking that. Um, I was talking. I was saying before the recording that um, I used my wild card on FPL and brought in Darwin Nunes, Luis Diaz, and Mosala, my captain. So you can imagine the shock on my face when this ended goalless. And uh, United having, I think we can objectively objectively say the best chance of the game when you know Rashford, Holland's uh, chance to that he you know switched over to his right and Edison saved. Oh, sorry, um, Allison saved. Uh, Eric Ten Hag, he set up his team not to get embarrassed. And, you know, who can blame him? When you lose 7-0, I think the focus becomes avoiding another embarrassing defeat and not necessarily winning the game, per se. But by all your thoughts on the game and also Virgil, Virgil van Dijk's comments after the game, which pretty much echoed what I just said about uh, one team trying to win the game and another team playing to... Uh, like draw or play not to lose. Um, so starting with Van Dyke's comments, I, it, it always amuses me when footballers or coaches come out and say things like this. 
and your game club is particularly prone to saying things like that. Um, he, you know, he has said more than a few times. I, I even work, I even go as far as saying that. But I, I've heard Jurgen Klopp, you know, um, come across with come come out with with that particular line more times than I've ever heard Guardiola use it. I'm not sure I've ever heard Guardiola come out and say that a pass if a particular no, team Guardiola has never Jurgen mm-hmm. Klopp has come out and said I've said that a few times, right? And so it's not it's not a surprise a that Van Dijk has yeah. come out and said True. that only one team wanted to win. I mean, um. It was obvious that there was only, in terms of approach, in terms of an approach to the game, um, Manchester United didn't have many options in terms of how they could approach the game and expect to come out with something uh, in terms of eight points or possibly three points. Uh, they approached the game in the only because I mean, one issue with United has been they've committed too many men for, they've, uh, on a week by week basis. They've committed. They've committed uh, lots of numbers forward, trying to overwhelm the opposition either with either by pressing and recovering the ball, or you know, uh, create or, or chance creation purposes, and that has left them exposed to continually being transition. Uh, yeah, constantly left them exposed in transition, right? In, in defensive transition, where teams are able to cut through their center and create very good chances. Uh, good um, shots, short opportunities, right, in their own box, in United's own box. So if you are going to leave, if you are going to afford Liverpool the same chance, they would do the exact same thing, right? So for me, that's even that's even a non-starter. And, you know, that that's neither here nor there. Uh, one thing I would say is that so we saw another trend, which so a trend that was pointed out to me, or that you know I, I came across over the weekend was that um, before the start of this weekend's games, right, Liverpool had accumulated the highest um, expected goals in the league, right? But in terms of short quality, which could be measured by, you know, your XG per shot, you know, they were actually about seven in the league, meaning that, you know, this season they've been, they've basically been forcing, they've been knocking the wall down, right, rather than picking the lock. Um, so, again, we saw that player, they had 34 shots yesterday, they had a, dis- they had a descending high number of expected goals, right, over to, I, I think about, I don't know if it was 2.65 or 2.95 expected goals at this point, and the, the fact that they didn't manage to score, you know, from all of those attempts was just crazy, yes, the shot quality was not particularly great overall. But in terms of speaking with Liverpool, it just goes to show that in terms of the cohesion between their front three, um, Salah, Nunez, and Diaz, they don't have that. They don't have that cohesion yet that the Salah, Firmino, Mane trio were able to build up in their time at Liverpool. Oh, they still don't have those patterns down. Um, so that's something that Klopp would have to work on, or that he will have to work on. If he wants to sustain this title challenge, uh, last week at Crystal Palace, they, they barely got through as well. Um, they just barely got through. Uh, we've also seen them struggle against Fulham recently. Uh, in that game, I, I remember they had they, they, they scored from a couple of long range shots as well. Uh, you know, 
So that's something Liverpool had to yeah. work on. And so for Manchester United, it was just perfect for them to uh, sit in a deep block, um, you know, have for have you know have that um, the double pivot of Amrabat and Manu just sat right in front of Baran and Evans, you know, and have Garnacho and Anthony doubling up with the fullbacks. Um, and so obviously Liverpool puffed, huffed and puffed, but if, if they were not able to, they were not able to blow the house down. Um, so yeah, um, overall, I think it's a point that United have every right to be happy with. Yeah, Tenag has every right to be happy with. But um, again, it's it's a matter of how they build on this, right? I, I, I don't see this as an end in itself. It's a matter of how they're able to build on this and, and move on from from here on forward. All right. Um, Dotun, um, Bayer talked about um, probably building on this because I know uh, Ten Hag had struggled to get results against the top nine away from home, right? But before we talk about that, um, trivia time. Okay, so that's what Manchester United's goalish draw with Liverpool this past weekend meant that the Red Devils have now gone five years without a goal at Anfield in all competitions. Which player was the last to score on that ground? For there's them? no way. There's no way Dustin is missing that. Don't worry, I don't need the options. It's Lingard. <laughs> it's Lingard. I don't need the options. <laughs> Yeah, Liga. So in the three-one lost, uh, I think yeah, and yeah, Shakiri Dobu. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so that was very easy. That was very easy for you. Um, so okay, back to what Bio said, right? What are the things you think Manchester United could pick from these games and build on? Because um, I think defensively, they have been leaking goals. Obviously, I think uh, they've they've considered three or more goals in about seven games this season, probably eight. Uh, and so I think the past two games, the last two games, Bayern and Liverpool, those are games that people expected them to get properly hammered, and they've considered just one goal over the last over 180, 100 and yeah, 80 minutes in those two games. Uh, so yeah, what were the things that you saw in not just this game but against Bayern as well that you feel like they can build upon in this season and turn their fortunes around? Um, okay, so first things first, I think um, I, I sent it on the group uh, on what another WhatsApp group earlier. I think this morning or yesterday evening. So I think Onana is a twin. I don't think he's the same guy that is in goal in the Premier League and Champions League. Doesn't make any sense. Right? Because you see some mistakes in the Champions League and you're like, who's this guy? Then you see some other short performances in the Premier League. And even when you look at the numbers, there's a staggering difference in the Premier League in terms of shots stopping in terms of um, save percentage, in terms of uh, XG prevented, all those goalkeeping, even in terms of clean sheets, all those goalkeeping starts is leading the way, right, with most of those things. In the Champions League is like further down those those rankings. So I, I don't understand why um, you have, maybe it's bad, I don't know, there's just, just two sets of different performances here and, and there, but if you look at 
the way your United have played against um, the bigger teams this season, where right, they've managed to be um, cautious, very, very cautious in all the big games they've played this season. And I say cautious because um, in as much as Tenaga said he wanted to play transition football, I think he's, he knows that he leaves his team open, right? So he tries to hold on to the ball as long as possible in the first phase. Um, I don't know if you saw Van Dijk's comment after the game where uh, Onana says, Van Dijk tells him in the tunnel that you made sure we played only 30 minutes of football today. So if you notice all United goal kick, it's more of Van takes the goal kick, shot to Onana in the box. Now Liverpool cannot be reckless in their pressing because Onana can't play the long ball. So United end up saving 25, 30 seconds with that small... Um, just a small process. So it yeah. allows um, United to take advantage of Liverpool reshuffling their pack to press him out. Right? So it was one of the reasons why United were able to escape with the 1-0 margin. I say escape because before the match, everybody thought it more than that. But the 1-0 margin against Bayern and the result against um, Liverpool is mostly a cautious approach. I'm not trying to be embarrassed, right? I said it a long time ago. Tenag has stopped adventurous coaching or whatnot. It's just going on a game-by-game basis. Approaching each game like a cup game, right? Rather than trying to build something sustainable that will last you till the end of the season. So I think in terms of picking something from the game, I personally don't think it's applicable. I think against West Ham, that's United's next game. I get to see something entirely different. They're probably going to be reckless again. They're probably going to attack with... um, and overly, um, they're going to be overly, um, what's this word again? Basically, they're going to jump the gun again, right? They're going to play passes earlier than they should play, right? We saw, even though Liverpool had most of possession against United at Anfield, you could see, I mean, a bit of repeated patterns in terms of getting United up the pitch against West Ham, a team that will sit back, right, and allow United probably to get to the half line a lot easier than Liverpool would. Right, you see, you, you actually need to play it an entirely different way to be able to get something at West Ham. So I don't even think that it's going to pick anything from that game and pass it to the next game. And that's my um, number one criticism of him. I feel like if you're going to be a big coach at a big team, right, you should be able to create something that is at the very least sustainable. Right, doing something uh-huh. today, doing another thing tomorrow, doing something else the next day, it can't work eventually. You lose your job. And that's why we've been talking about what's going to happen to him next, what's going to happen to him next. Is he on the brink? Is he on the brink? So I just feel like if you've done Bayern in a certain way, I lost just 1-0. You lost, you, you did Liverpool in a certain way and you were able to get a draw at Anfield. It means maybe your players can adapt to that style or to that system. Why not just adopt it full-time? I mean, I don't think it's the prettiest to watch. I don't think it's the best for what the team, for the players that are in the team. But if you can create a system, I mean, we saw um, Varane and John Evans play as box defenders uh, against Liverpool. For two of them, that's their number one strength, being box defenders. We know that even though Evans can hold his own in terms of playing out and all of that, his old is leggy. So, him defending the smaller spaces will favor him a lot more than defending larger spaces. 
right? So if you build your team in a way where your center backs that you're not so confident with on the ball have little ball playing to do, defending smaller spaces so they can have um, the physical advantage because of their size and all of that. So from there, you can see counter-attacks. Uh, I had a few problems with Anthony's decision-making, but then again, it's nothing new. Same thing with Ganacho as well. But if you keep on getting chances on the break, the chance, the, the, eventually you have to take one. Right? So if Serag is going to pick anything from these past few results, if he sees them as positives anyway, it will probably be to just relax a bit, um, add a bit of composure and calmness to your game. And instead of being reckless, just take one second to breathe, one second to pause and make the right decisions going forward in a counter-attack inside. Okay, well said. Um, moving over to Stamford Bridge where Chelsea Sheffield United 2-0. Things open up for Palmer. Disguised ball to Sterling on the edge of the box. He will turn. Take on Andre Brooks. Get to the dead ball line. In goes the cross. And Chelsea have taken the lead here at Stamford Bridge. They lead by a goal to nil. It's a powerful finish from close range by Cole Palmer, who was able to push the ball in after an incisive, intricate piece of build-up. Um, I think I haven't... Having beaten Spurs 4-1 a few weeks ago, this was Chelsea's first set of consecutive league wins at Stamford Bridge in over a year, I believe. Um, Cole Palmer was the star of the game. He had a goal and an assist. And, you know, just speaking about Cole Palmer, this isn't someone they had exactly planned to sign. You know, they had spent close to about a billion getting signing everyone besides me. But, you know, they seem to be... Uh, Palmer seemed to be part of... Um, you know Manchester City's plans. I mean, he scored in the Community Shield and then the Super Cup, but then suddenly became unavailable due to, um, I guess, disagreements with Pep over playing time. And uh, it's fair to say he landed on Chelsea's laps because, like I said, this wasn't someone they had planned to go and get. It just became available and they went for him. And he's become a very key player and an integral member of that year attack, even though they've not really um hit the levels that they would have you know desired or they desire to but so far this season he's been one of the bright spots in that Chelsea attack uh do you think that uh back to you Dalton, do you think this is someone they can build around for the future do you think he is that good from what you've seen so far this season <laughs> so I, I, that's a very tricky question but I think on the balance of play with what they have right now Yes, they, they don't have a choice. They have to build around players like Obama, right? Especially because he's getting on the end of a lot of the chance creations and short creations as well, right? So no matter how good you set your team up, no matter how good your players are, especially in the bottom half of the field, when you see um, decent youngsters in their back line, you also have a very young midfield with um, Coron Galaga, Enzo Fernandez, Moses Caicedo and all of that, right? You still need to be able to create things in the final third. Um, Ryan Sterling seems to have lost his mojo, right? It's not the Sterling that we used to know at City. Even though people argue that at City had like repeated chances and here the chances come once the blue moon and all of that. So the people that get on this question the most, the people that create the most chances, the people that take the most shots and all of that, will end up winning you the most games. So you're left with little choice. You have to build 
around them. Is it good enough? Um, I think we'll find out in due time. Um, Christopher Ongoku is back in the team. I, I saw he was on the bench on... I just said Chelsea game. I saw he was yeah, on the bench. He was on the I bench, I don't know yeah. if he came on. No, um, he didn't. But, but, yeah. So, I feel like, progressively, you'll see um, changes in the Chelsea attack. They have um, the 100 million man in Mikhailo Modric. They have Rem Stedding. They have <laughs> um, Jackson. They have um, Bruja up top. They also have Nani Madweke. That's alongside Palmer and Kukuanko. So, because he's scoring the most, because he's um, making the most, you probably see him start all the time. I mean, until something changes. So, with youngsters, increased minutes means like we see them a lot more. We know what they're good at. We know how good they are and all of that. So, it will cement his place in the starting lineup, even if Chelsea go to the window or he'll play himself out of the, out of the team. But right now, I'm going to give him benefit of doubt because, you know, when he started scoring, it was all talk about, oh, it's penalties. Even yeah. though most of those penalties were high-pressure penalties. But now he started scoring from open play. So, like I said, he's young. He looks talented. I think it's... Oh, yeah, he's played for the England national team as well. That's minus all the age-grade grade competitions and all that. So, right now, there's no telling exactly what his ceiling is. If I was on his team, I will just tell him to... Bro, continue living the dream. Enjoy yourself. Whenever he gets to a roadblock, then they'll circumvent the roadblock and look for how to move from there. Okay. To Spain. To Spain. Uh, Barcelona dropped points after drawing 1-1 with Valencia. The pressure is piling up on Javi Hernandez, who is now seven points behind Real Madrid. Um, Atletico Madrid also dropped points as well. They lost 2-0 to Atletico to Atleti Bilbao. Athletic Bilbao. Uh, I think that was their second loss in three games. Uh, Real Madrid, their neighbors won 4 1 against Villarreal. Jude Bellingham and Rodrigo were part of the scorers. But they lost yet another player to a season ending injury, was David Alaba. And I think he could also miss the Euros as well. He ruptured his ACL. Um, still in Spain, Sevilla, they lost 3 0 to Getafe. It was their third league loss in five games. Diego Alonso was fired yesterday after the game. Um, he had been in charge for, I think, just five weeks. In that span, he had managed 12 or 13 games, rather, uh, 12 in the Champions League and La Liga combined, and he didn't win a game. In fact, his only win came in the Copa del Rey against fifth tier Atletico Astorga. Uh, and that was even a 2 0 win, it was just a 2 0 win against the fifth tier side. So yeah, he's been fired and Kike Sanchez-Flores has been appointed or is said to be appointed officially today or tomorrow. Uh, Bayo, what do you make about uh, Sevilla's season so far or their fall from Greece rather? Because this is a team that um, I guess we expected to... I mean, I joked about them finishing third and dropping to the Europa League and you know they're just coming off the Europa League win and we expected a little bit more from them. But right now, they're... 17th on the table and things aren't going so well for them what do you think about Chiki, i'm sure you're the one that fired that guy <laughs> with the pressure i put on him Abby. <laughs> yes with, yes with the pressure that you put on him <laughs> honestly and i was watching the game and um i, I watched the game against Lons and well Lons went ahead one nil and um sergio ramos missed the penalty and then he retook it 
scored it was a panenka and i was in my mind i was like yes my my prediction is coming to pass they are going to finish third and for some reason they just gave up that um they missed the chance to go ahead and they lost 2-1 so it was it was painful to watch anyway uh by what what are your thoughts on Sevilla's season and how they how they've come um with? so i think the the uh i think the most glaring sign right even beyond their league their position in the league table how many points they've had or the fact that Diego Alonso their recently departed coach um, failed to win a single game in 12 matches he managed um, in the league and the Champions League uh, he won 2 out of 14 games and both those wins came in the Copa del Rey I think the most glaring sign is if you look at Sevilla since Sevilla, so I think you know, Sevilla, in my, you, they, they became a force in European football, um, I think, around 2006. Uh, you know, when, that's when they started winning the Europa League. Um, and at every point, you could always identify players from there that you would want, that you'd expect would move on to bigger things, right? Or that if the club ever needed like liquid cash or they never ever needed to raise funds they could probably sell off one or two so you had guys like renato seducata you had canote you had aruna Kone, luis fabiano daniel alves and you know i could go on i could go on and on and on and it was always and i think you know majority of that they, they were so successful in in buying low and selling relatively high, right? Although they transfer, they, they they did that they, they did that well in a in, in a time when a period where we weren't seeing the astronomical transfer fees that we see today. Um, and I think the one man that you can pin all that success to was Monchi, their longtime sporting director and former goalkeeper, right? Um, and so they, they were able to sustain this remarkable run of Europa League success, um, Champions League qualification, and unearthing talent, right? And being able to sell, being able to sell players for a profit. They were able to manage it up until I think when Monchi, I think Monchi first went, Monchi went to Roma, right? I think Monchi went to Roma. That must have been in um, around 2016-2017 uh, when he left Sevilla for Roma. Yeah, around um, You know, up until that point, I think they still signed Clement Dunkley. They signed Clement Dunkley uh, and within 12 to 18 months, they had sold him to Barcelona. You know? So even up to that time, they were doing okay. Right? <clears throat> and then Monchi went to Roma. He flopped there. Um, had, <clears throat> had a terrible time of it in terms of, you know, the signings he was able to make for the club. So the guys that stick out include guys like Javier Pastore, Justin Clivert, Giorgio De Gregory Defrel, and the likes. You know, we who never just, you know, they were not able to, they were not able to, for one reason or the other, have great careers at Roma. I think there was also Patrick Schick. And he also brought um, Eusebio Di Francesco from Sassuolo to coach at Roma. And basically, none of these none of these things worked out, right? And then he eventually returned to Sevilla. And then since then, 
they just i think a con a contribution of so i think a contribution of two factors means meant have meant that they've not been able to get back to the to the heights they the, you know that they previously reached particularly in terms of recruitment the first one of course seeming to be that monchi had lost his touch or seems to have lost his, his touch in terms of uh being able to allocate the resources that sevilla had in terms of uh buying at bargain prices i think france was a market particularly exploited very pretty well um you know and he just didn't seem to be able to do that anymore. And i think the second thing is that la liga have come down particularly hard on clubs in terms of how much they are allowed to spend on players relative to their own revenues right really relatively to their relative to their finances so i think you'd have heard about barcelona like every literally every season for the past three or so years now barcelona are always <laughs> you know they are always in some sort of um yeah they are they are always pleading their case to la liga to register one player or the other you hear like maybe yeah, yeah, two days, two days to the start of the season. Like three or three or four of their new signings have not been <laughs> registered because they don't have enough space on their wage bill, right? In terms of the wage bill that's been allocated to them by La Liga, you know. So I think um, that that was a move that La Liga had to take because of the worrying state of finances um, amongst La Liga clubs. Um, to, to the extent that I think 18 out of 20 La Liga clubs agreed a deal with CVC, which was brokered by La Liga to sell off um, a percentage of their a percentage of their TV revenues over the next 20 years. Um, well, not the next 20 years, but 20 years. The next 20 years, as of the time the deal was agreed, right? Um, so so that they could at least guarantee some income. And not really fall into more unhealthy debt, and I think this combination, as well as there's also been a change in terms of leadership at the club. Uh, Jose Del Nido, under who, under who, you know, they achieved much of that success we spoke about earlier. Also left, um, also left the club and has been replaced by um, Jose Luis Castro. I think I believe that's his name, of the, of the name of the current president. Um, so there's just been basically upheaval in the boardroom. Monchi left this season and joined Aston Villa. Uh, it remains to be seen whether he will rediscover his touch with the resources that being at a Premier League club will, will definitely afford him, right? Um, they, right now, they just, they simply do not have, I mean, they, they definitely have a, a quality of player to be doing better than 17th in La Liga. Definitely they do. Well, I don't believe they have the quality of player to. Um, I don't believe they have the quality of player to reach the heights they've previously done in terms of qualifying for the Champions League or even the Europa League at this point. And I think the alarm bell should have been ringing the moment uh, Julian Lopetegui, who I rate pretty highly as a coach, I think he was really unfortunate how. Um, you know, 2018 played out for him where he was about to take Spain to the World Cup and then he leaked that he he had agreed a deal to, to, to manage Real Madrid and our famous friend Rubiales decided that he wasn't he, he wasn't going to coach Spain because I think Spain the Spain the form Spain had shown up leading up to that tournament 
rightly made them favorites, right? But they ended up with Fernando Hierro leading them and then leading them to a quarterfinal exit. So I think the moment Julian Lopetegui could no longer... Um, and don't forget that as recently as 2020-2021, they took Atletico Madrid, uh, Real Madrid, and to a lesser extent Barcelona to within about two or three match days to the end of the La Liga season, right? In terms of being in the title race, uh, powered largely by um, El Nesri's goals, right? Um, but yeah, <clears throat> just it's just like a, it's just like a melting pot. It's just like a perfect storm. Recruitment has been terrible, leaving them leaving them with the with the poor squad. Uh, there is uncertainty at boardroom level. You know, um, there, there's basically like a civil war going on in their boardroom currently. Um, also, um, you know, their sporting director. They now have Victor Otta, who was the guy who relegated Leeds. <laughs> To put it uncharitably, right? Um, <clears throat> he's now at the helm of. He's now, you know, he's about to recruit his third manager. Well, well, he's about to recruit his second manager already this season. Who is going to be their third manager for this season? And when you look at the guy they are appointing, Kiki Sanchez Flores, it's not exactly inspiring, right? Um, so I don't see how. I mean, I think they, in terms of outlook, they probably will survive. Uh, relegation. I don't. I don't. I think they are still too good to get relegated. Uh, but to be honest, I just don't see where. I just don't see where help is going to come from in terms of them rising back up, uh, you know, through the table yeah. into Champions League qualification and the likes. Um, unless, of course, they were somehow. I don't think they did. They didn't even qualify for the Europa League this season, right? Which usually is like their bailouts. Um, <laughs> you know, through the Champions League, yeah, yeah they didn't exactly. Qualify the Champions so, League. Um, yeah. so yeah, all right, thanks for that great insight into the workings of Sevilla. Um, before we preview the Champions League round of 16 draws, just a quick word on Giorgio Cellini, former Juventus hitman, I mean, former Juventus defender who announced his retirement this past weekend. Um, though I know Baresi, Maldini, Cannavaro, and Nesta are like the top four Italian defenders of the modern era. Uh, but how highly do you rate Kellini? I mean, he's undoubtedly the a legend of the game, but just how high do you rate him as a, a player? So, um, controversial opinion here, he makes my own top four. Mm, um, okay, wow, alongside. <laughs> That's mm, less controversial. Mm, mm. Cal- yeah. Just calm down first. Think about what you're about to say. Oh no! I, 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 like I said, it's one of my um, it's one of my personal agendas. Okay, right? So okay. it makes my top four alongside obviously Baresi. Okay. Mm. Obviously Maldini. Mm. <laughs> and yeah, Alessandro Nesta. Wow! Wow! Okay. I mean, no. you can call it you can call it C finish or things in that line. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean that this is not where I was expecting the conversation to go. I, I, I'm just. I know. I, I know I most people have him. I say it all the time, and I say it everywhere I go to. I mean, Canaro was good, very good, right? But I think ultimately people put him at the pedestal that's higher than he was because of 2006. No, I, I, I can't get that. I can understand that. 
anyway i, I don't have a, a ready reply for that because i wasn't expecting that at all but yeah um undoubtedly legend of the game like i said um one of the finest just pure destroyers of this generation and i mean he's um defending is like a dying art right now we think when we think of defenders we think of quote-unquote the ball passers those who can play out of the back but i think um just for pure defending killing is right up there and i mean does you have him in your top four ahead of Cannavaro? and i mean Cannavaro led his country to the world cup so for you to have him ahead of that it shows how highly you rate him anyway to the champions league round of 16 draws um so we have Porto against Arsenal, Napoli against Barcelona, PSG and Real Sociedad. I think we have to keep an eye on that one. Inter and Atleti, PSV Dortmund, Lazio, Bayern Munich, Copenhagen, Manchester City, Leipzig, Real Madrid. Dorton, just going to you. Uh, what is your tasty, all the tastiest draw in this round of 16? Which draw are you looking forward to the most? Personal preference, I always like the games that look a bit more open. That's the games that can swing either, either way. way. Yeah. Right. So I feel like the two games that have the highest possibility of swinging either way are, okay, not two, three. So obviously there's the Atleti Inter. Okay. There is the PSV Dortmund. And from the corner of my eye, Right, I'm looking at to see that PSG. I don't think that PSG is that good. And I think that the system, the style, and the setup as to see that will give them big problems, yep. especially from a defensive point of view from PSG. I mean, ultimately, PSG have a lot of attacking firepower, so that can see them scale through. But I just feel that the game will be very, very, very open, those um, three games. I think... Uh, City should qualify, um, Madrid should qualify, Arsenal should qualify, uh, what am I missing? Bayern should qualify. Um, I know a lot of people are looking at Napoli, Barcelona, funny, but I think like if Xavi can get past, past this Napoli side, then it's very unserious. So yeah, I think those five guys are good. The other three will have to sweat it out. Chucky, mm, um, uh just before you went off um i was saying arsenal have been drawn with porto is one of the i guess favorable draws for the gunners flying high right now top of the premier league and of course they finished top of the champions league group as well so is this a is this a a team that you feel arsenal should be beating with uh, relatively with relative ease or do you think it's tougher than most people expect Okay, Chukia's, Chukia's run away again. Okay, okay, Bio, just to you, uh, what do you think is the tastiest draw in this group? Same question with those. Yeah, I think for me, the standout mm-hmm. matchup is the one between Inter Milan and Atletico Madrid. Um, Simone Inzaghi is Inter Milan, currently the best team in Italy. Um, he's currently opened up a four point gap in Syria. We have Lotaro Martinez on fire, you know, paired with Lilian Thuram. Um, you expect that by the time the, the the round of 16 comes around, they will have their full complement of defenders in terms of 
having Benjamin Papa back, having um, Alessandro Bastoni, uh, Stefan DeVry, you know, uh, and so on. Um, yeah, I think uh, paired with the fact that Simeone in the, in the last two or three years has also moved into um, a three at the back coach where Atletico Madrid mostly play with three with three centre-backs. They play with wing-backs as well. Um, Antoine, Antoine Griezmann is also still in very good form. Um, it's just it's just the it's just an interesting matchup on a number of different levels. Um, I think Inter showed in their run last year that you know they, they also have some level of street smarts, right? They are not just as as much as you know they are fun to watch. I actually, like I like I, I like to watch them, right? You know, besides of there are a few things I enjoy more in football these days than Bastoni going on one of those rampaging runs into the opposition box, right? And either creating creating chances for his for his teammates or having scoring opportunities himself. Um yeah, I think in terms of overall quality of player available to both teams, I think I'll give it I think Inter Milan slightly shade this one. I would expect them to go through after all is said and done. Obviously you can never write off a a Diego Simeone team. But yeah, that that's the match I'll be I'll I'll mostly be looking forward to um when when the when the round of sixteen games kick off. Yeah, I'm also looking forward to that and looking forward to them having a combined zero point three XG over hundred and eighty minutes. Um Chucky. Uh, uh, Chicky, it has going to create because that game is a whole lot more than that. I have them winning the tie though. So, uh, I, oh, no, no, I don't mean the tie. I mean the XG, the chance creation. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, okay. if you look at the form that those guys are on, they'll create a lot. Oh, no, and yes, if you no, have Griezmann, Morata, and Co on the other side, maybe for the first time this season, yeah, someone will work for his money. <laughs> them creating chances one thing uh, okay uh, Chucky third, let, let's try this for the third time um, to you uh, first of all what's the tastiest draw in this round of 16 and secondly what do you make of Arsenal's draw with Porto they're flying high right now most people expect them to get past Porto East do you think they're right or do you think Porto poses a bigger threat than most people think Wow, I thought that time was supposed to be the charm. <laughs> this is so funny. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, let's just continue. Um, so, best potential for an upset. Which which type do you guys think is the best potential for an upset? Personally, I think just going on what Dorton said the first time, I think it's going to be Real Sociedad PSG. I don't have Sociedad winning, but I think that's the best potential for an upset because Sociedad, besides everything you mentioned, Dustin, and you're, you know, you're right to say all that, I honestly believe that that is a team that know how to get a result, especially at home, if they need it. So last season, I remember Manchester United needed to win by more than one goal to win the group. And they went to, I believe they went to Sevilla. Yeah, they went to Sevilla. I'm sorry, to uh, Sociedad. And... So she then knew they just had to lose by no more than one goal, and that's what exactly that's exactly what happened. They lost one zero. They won their group. United finished second. This season, same scenario, similar scenario rather. 
uh, they needed a draw against Inter on the last day to secure the number the number one spot in the group. And of course, we had really spoken about how Inter, of course, Inter had a better team and all that, you know, semi uh, finalists from last season and all that. And so she had held them to a goalless draw, you know. So that's a team that, besides the individual quality they have, you know, players like Kubo and all that, as a team, as a collective, they know how to get the perfect result, you know, when they need it. So me, I believe the most um, for PSG, and this might be a bit of a cliche, but that first leg at Parc de France is going to be very vital. If they can get a comfortable win, not just a win, a comfortable win over right there in France, I think going to Sociedad and needing to, say, win by two goals or something like that against this Sociedad team, I think is going to be, it's going to be, way more difficult and like the twins say this PSG team they are not that good so should they be able to get a result against an Inter Milan team that is by far better than PSG this season maybe not in individual quality because you know they still have players like Mbappe and all that but as a collective Inter they're a better team than PSG so if Sociedad can hold that team to get a result they need I think they can do that against PSG so that first leg at Parc de France is going to be very vital for this uh, this tie and yes it's a cliche but if they don't get that result uh, in France it's going to be it's going to be tough going to Spain and getting that result against Sociedad anyway um, to you by which which team do you think or which tie do you think has the best potential for an upset yeah I think looking looking at all looking at all the ties um, I have to agree that Given PSG's sketchy overall form and not necessarily knowing what team they are going to get from or what performance they are going to get from one game to the next, I think Sociedad have a shot. You know, those Sociedad themselves haven't been the most consistent team in La Liga, um, but they did very well to come out top of a group that had Inter Milan and Benfica. Um, another game that another game that. Um, I actually have an eye on. Um, I don't know if we'd consider it an upset if you were to play out this way. But Peter Bosch is going back with to his old club. He's going with PSV to Dortmund. Mm. Um, now this is PSV who, ha who have won sixteen out of sixteen games in the Eredivisie, right? Um, and I think they did pretty well to come out of. A group that also had lungs and um, well, <laughs> the Sevilla we thought we were going to get, not the Sevilla we eventually got. Um, yeah, you know. So uh, I think it's going to be pretty interesting. He, he don't forget that I think when he joined Dortmund, he had he, he had an amazing start where you know um, he had he had a pretty amazing start to life at Dortmund before things fell apart. And one of the things responsible was. Um, it, the crazy high line he was playing in Dortmund, right? Which teams eventually began to exploit. If for whatever reason he's able to, he's able to get the better of Dortmund in this tie and progress to the quarterfinals. Um, I think it, I think it would be, I think it would be a huge achievement. And I actually don't think it's, I don't think it's out of the realms of possibility either. I don't think it's improbable or. Un um, of course, we don't know what their form would look like, what their form is likely to look like uh, by the time February rolls around. Uh, 
I don't, I don't expect that they'll still have a hundred percent record you know. But um, yeah, I think I think that game is definitely there to be won for them, and I think it it will be it will be I think it would it would at least be a good story. You know? I don't know if people would necessarily consider it as an upset, but I think at this point it makes sense to say that Dortmund are the favorites to go through. But, you know. If he's able to do that, then that will be interesting to see. Yeah, Chugi, let's try fourth time. Um, Porto Arsenal. You got- oh yeah! Ah, oh, finally, finally. Okay. <laughs> so, 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 so let, let me let me oh, ask a well. question again. All right. Um, Arsenal has been drawn with Porto Arsenal. They are toward the Premier League. They also won their group. They are flying high right now. Most people expect them to... I mean, you know the question. Do you think uh, FC Porto poses a bigger threat than most people think? Or do you think Arsenal should win this easily? Nah, so with the way we've played this season, especially in the Champions League, I have no reason to worry about Porto. Now, can the team go the other day and lay goose egg that's a different thing. Even though I don't really believe they can, I don't think they can. I, with the way we play, we've been controlling games. Even the two games we didn't win in the Champions League, um, we lost that loss to their first Champions League game in like 40 years to two goals that I don't even believe that they can score it 10 more times out of. If they put the same scenario, the goals have to be perfect. It's long. And against PSV mm-hmm. in the last game of the group, we rotated the team. They were playing as in it was a very... Uh, nah, Champ- oh, yeah, in the Premier League, people yeah. exactly. I don't. I don't think I should worry about Porto. Though my, I was hoping for Copenhagen, but as we know, City always get the, the easiest draws, so <laughs> they had to give them Copenhagen, and they gave us Porto. But Porto is still Porto is still a very fair one, honestly. Bro, bro, they gave bad. you pepper soup. They gave you buffet. and they gave me pepper soup, and they gave City small uh-huh. chops. So what's the difference? Small <laughs> chops is better than pepper soup. Pepper soup costs fast food, guys. Buffet it, is buffet, depend, it, it depends. Bro. It depends. It depends. It depends on the pepper soup. Bro. <laughs> someone like Bayo, someone like Bayo, that's recovering from malaria now. I think he'll prefer uh, uh, pepper soup to to small chops. But yeah, basically. But yeah, enjoy. I don't. I am very fine. Very 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 fine with Porto. I mean, because I won't lie to you guys. I felt like with our bad luck or with our luck with draws, I was going to see PSG. But which is funny because PSG too now got the easiest draw they could have gotten. They got the one group winners that would work for them in Sociedad. Uh, so I, like, uh, uh, well, I don't, I don't really know, but I, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely going to be a tricky, a tricky tie. Because every other that, group yeah. winner would have been like that. If they could pick one group winner to get, I feel like it would have been Sociedad. Because I don't think they want Dortmund. Not with the way Dortmund play. I feel like um, they want Sociedad. Want to, they want okay, to I, I don't, I don't think you've watched Sociedad this season. If you want to play them. No, I have. No, you're not getting my point. I, I, I have. No, I have. I enjoy watching. I didn't see anyone there now, so I kept in. I watched most of their Champions League games, even. So they play proper football. And that young boy in the mid. What's that his name again? The Asian. No, no, no. The Asian boy. Oh, Kubo. Kubo. Kubo, yes. Bro, leave, I don't leave, want to leave, that leave, word. Let's leave. But so they, play, they play let's amazing leave football. football. They play amazing let's football. Let's leave Kubo for a minute. So if you watch their ball progression, right? What they do is they tease opponents into um, anticipating their next move, mostly because they move the ball very quickly. 
Now, once yeah. they see that they've put you in a disadvantaged position, they play power, like straight in the lines. You know, they practically don't have a starting team. It's maybe like two, three people that play every game. Today, you see Omar Sadiq up front, Mauricio Azabal up front. Next day, you see Zubimendi holding. It's, it's, it's so seamless. That's why I'm worried about PSG. It's mostly because these people have like an ingrained style and system. If it was a team that was going up with them in, in terms of quality versus quality, then I'll say, okay, maybe PSG superior quality will win. But you know, PSG kind of play. They're not serious. Don't no worry. They're yeah, just they are not serious. Most scattered football. That's so, good. One. Anyway, anyway, congrats. On Wait, your, before your, before someone, I end, some of us are not about to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You said when you were talking to you, you said something about the Baka Napoli. Uh, but the thing with that game, you said you said something now. You said this current Napoli team. I think that's the way you put it. Like yeah. can get his act together against this current Napoli team. But the thing that from history, when there's a team that is doing that did so well the year before, and then they start their season, maybe they're not at their best or so their best. Knockout competition is why you should fear them because then it's just one game. League form doesn't come into it. Napoli did not lose anybody. Okay, it's so the same good team. luck, good and luck Baka, explaining this to Barcelona fans if Xavi should lose. <laughs> no, I know, I know. Now I get, I get your point. Everybody expects Barcelona to come out of of that game. Everybody does, but brother, I cannot. A team that is doing that is not doing so well in the Champions League, in, the, in their league. Oh, no, so, 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 so that's why I ranked players. it. So that's why I ranked it in that order. With all of right? these players. So I said. Nah. Um, so I said. Um, has a point to prove, please. No tricky. So remember that I you. said that the open games are PSV Dortmund, right? PSG Sociedad, <coughs> PSV Dortmund, PSV Sociedad, and Atletico Inter. Those are the open games, as far as I'm concerned. Now, the four that I'm sure that are closed, Bayern, Arsenal, City, and Madrid are good. Now, I specifically mentioned that Napoli Barcelona apart because in as much as Wait, I, but can see, sorry, I, I, I don't, see. I don't keep cutting short. You're not worried about with all their injuries. You're not worried about Leipzig against Madrid with where they play. Again, all the defensive injuries. That, that, that and let them let them lose like, first. Like, let them go and explain like, to to parents. Yeah, no, that's it. Now it's it's who be, <laughs> it's who be Leipzig. Yes. Let them let them lose first. Let them lose first. I go and explain this against Madrid. But 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 there's there's general transfer window now. They probably bring in somebody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they probably bring in somebody. Plus, it's just their laboratory. Um, I think Militao is almost back. I've been seeing him in and around the squad. Um. Dressing room, touch and he just, line. He just come on to take pictures. ACL. That's an ACL. Yeah. I think it was an ACL tier now. ACL, ACL tiers are like six back months. Right? Not, didn't have an but Timba yeah, is so. back already now. Timba is back already too now. He's Timber working. He's not back. Not. He's working. No, he's not back. He's not back playing. He's working. I think Sorry, he's what injury just, did... Just Wait, hold on, guys. What injury did Nkunku have in preseason? No, I don't think that. I think he re-injured. Uh, well, an ACL as well. No, it wasn't. Wasn't an ACL. Wasn't an ACL. No, I don't Everybody's think it's coming ACL back. No, well, no, he's back. Is, yeah, Mentin is better these days. Anyway, Mentin is better. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. but three that's months. Yeah, yeah, but three months. Three months is too. Yeah, three, cool. four months is too early. I, I don't expect to see most of these guys till at the very at the earliest April or something. I mean, just because they're working, it's uh, I feel like I feel like it's different. Anyway, just wrap okay. this Champions League round of sixteen bit up. Um. I know that the January transfer is going to have a huge role to play because teams are going to 
um, go and reinvest in the market and some teams are also going to lose a few key players. But just early predictions, just quick early predictions round. Um, who do you guys have coming out of uh, each of the ties? I'll start with you, Bio, just a quick one. Who are the eight teams that you expect to go through? Okay. Um, so, I expect Arsenal, Barcelona. I expect Arsenal to go through Liverpool, too, obviously. Um, I expect Barcelona to go through over Napoli. Not because, I mean, not necessarily because Barca are showing any form to suggest that at the moment. Um, I just think Napoli under Mazzari, I, I don't think they, they have a long way to go in this competition. Um, obviously, I expect Bayern to go through over Lazio. Uh, come be, you know, whatever it takes, I also expect PSG to go through over Real Sociedad. Real Madrid will go through over Leipzig. Um, City obviously will go over, go through over Copenhagen. Um, so no surprises so far, but I'll just I'll just um, go go out on a limb and see PSV over Com Dortmund. And then, okay. yeah, obviously, Inter to go through uh, over Atletico Madrid. Over Atletico, okay. Um, tricky, back to you quickly. The eight teams you have qualifying to the going to the quarterfinals. Okay, so I have um, Arsenal, obviously. I have Barcelona, to be fair. Let me not lie. I have mm -hmm. PSG. I have Atletico. Mm -hmm. With mm -hmm. PSV as well, Bayern Munich, mm -hmm. City, and Madrid, and I have PSV because that's my quarterfinal draw there. That's not PSV. We go again. Your belay, your That a wolf. That a wolf. That a wolf. You are looking for. You go run your belay. When they got the when they got the final, nobody called Uber. I want that Uber. That's our Uber. Okay, um, Doctor Quick, what what are your what are your eight quarterfinalists? City, Bayern, okay, Madrid, Sociedad, Barcelona, Dortmund. Atletico Madrid. Hmm. So I'm with you on all seven except um, Inter Atletico. So I have Arsenal going through Barcelona, Real Sociedad. I'm picking them as my own upset over PSG, then Inter over Atleti. I'm surprised, Dotson, that you went with uh, Inter over Atleti. Um, Dortmund, Bayern, Manchester City, and Real Madrid. So those are my eight as well. But like we said, nothing is really set in stone because these teams are going to probably have a look in the January window and probably bolster their squad. So uh, we could be having a different conversation come February when these ties come around. Anyway, we'll take a break here. Up next, Birdwatch. in terms of the votes that has been cast is also from the beautiful country Victor Osimhen. Oh, 
exceptional season. A very well-deserved award. Welcome to Birdwatch, part two of the Clean Tacos podcast. On Birdwatch, we talk about our favorite birds, the Super Eagles and Super Falcons, as well as all things Nigerian football. Um, speaking of those two, exactly a week ago, our favorite birds won big at the CAF Awards. First, the Super Falcons won the award for Women's Team of the Year. Then, Chiamaka Nadozie won the award for Best Female Goalkeeper. And she followed that up with yet another penalty, penalty save for Paris FC in the Champions League. I believe that's penalty save number five in 2023 alone. Um, Aziza at won the Female Footballer of the Year award. I think that's her sixth award. I mean, at this point, she's the greatest female footballer the continent has produced. Not sure that's up for debate any, anymore. Then, Victor Simen. He won the award for the, the male category ahead of Mosala and Hakimi. Osimen, of course, is the first Nigerian to win the award since Mwanko Kano uh, back in 1999. Uh, he reportedly signed a new contract that ends in 2026, and there's a 130 million euro release clause included in that. And just like Chiamakan Naduzie, he celebrated his award with a standout performance for Napoli. He scored a goal, but he was... Uh, he, it was his assist for Fadaskelia that, you know, went viral. Clever cut back as well, Ossiman. Still Ossiman, great desire. Kvaratskhelia! Napoli are back in front. And Victor Ossiman, having scored the first, has set up the second. And how? And Kvaratskhelia! I think everyone must have seen the clip by now. He sort of flicked the ball in the air, juggled it about three or four times with his knee, and there was a little nutmeg in there as well, and then he hit that close, that uh, low cross for an easy tap-in for Kvadaskelia. Bayo, what was your reaction to what was an exciting week for the Super Falcons and the Super Eagles? I think all, all the awards were well-deserved, uh, pretty well-deserved. I think I, I don't remember. I don't remember a year when Nigeria has been as dominant across board. Um, but I think maybe others, others on the show might, you know, be able to confirm that. Or otherwise, uh, but again, more, more more than these awards, um, it, it's good. It's great to have individuals. It's great to have individuals recognized for the work they've done, you know, across the year over the, over the year. Um, but I think what's important, obviously, is that as the important tournaments come around, we're able to leverage the guys who we have been recognized as the best around, right? We're able to leverage their ability to achieve collective success. So, yeah, uh, starting with the Nations Cup um, at, the, at the turn of the year, well, hopefully we'll begin to see some of that. And... And yeah, as, for, you, um, as for Simmons, as for Simmons okay. assist, okay. I think um, I think we can all remember, and I'm sure we'd have seen reminders of it over the weekend about you know when he was when he visited Nigeria. I think maybe it was last December or sometime earlier, sometime earlier this year, where um, he was playing. You know, he was playing like a pickup game. Oh yeah, and he pick up game. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he picked up the ball and he up like he juggled <laughs> he juggled the ball over it like he did a similar move where you know he juggled the ball over 
one or two, a couple of players, right, before attempting a shot on goal. And, you know, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of people were saying, yeah, it was because, like, it was because it was a pickup game. He couldn't do that against professionals. Or how people would say, if they play tennis against Serena Williams, they probably win a set or a point or something like that. And I think what he did, what he did on, on, on Saturday against uh, Cagliari just goes to show the level that professional footballers operate at. And if he could do that against professional footballers in a professional football game, the points at stake. Um, again, that just goes to show the current level he's operating at as a footballer. Um, Dotu, I have a question for you. So, over this weekend, uh, I saw a bit of news that uh, said... Dennis Bergkamp's goal against Argentina in the 1998 World Cup was going to be embossed on a new banknote back in Holland. Um, it would be a unique eight euro note, and of course, eight was the jersey number for the national team. And that goal, which had one of the greatest first touches the beautiful game has ever seen, and I think the commentary was even equally as memorable. Frank de Boer speelt de bal. Heel goed naar Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp neemt de bal aan. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Frank de Boer speelt de bal naar Dennis Bergkamp. Die neemt de bal feilloos aan. En ik schiet de bal erin. We spelen nog officieel 20 seconden. Dennis Bergkamp. En we got me thinking, right? If we ever wanted to have a super ego or a super falcon goal embossed on the Naira, even though the Naira is losing value, but let's not talk about that because that's just a depressing topic. If we ever wanted to have a super ego goal or a super falcon goal embossed on the Naira, what would it be? Hmm. <laughs> okay, so this is a tough one, right? But off the top of my head, I have probably three contenders. Okay. Uh, three of them are unique for three different reasons. So the first one is obviously Yekini against Bulgaria '94. That is my pick. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Second one will be Olise against Spain in '98. Better go. And the third one will probably be um, Sondenberg against Burkina Faso in 2013. Hmm. Just because of the picture perfect moment when he hits the ball. So yeah, those are the only three that came that that, that come to my mind right now. I'm sure if I think very well, I will find one that is pretty. Maybe one Agawa celebration or something like that somewhere. But I, I think those are the first three that came to my mind in terms of iconic goals that should be up there with the Dennis Beckham for Netherlands moment. I, I think that Yakini's goal is perfect. Not just the I mean for what it represents, like you said, and he already has that unique celebration you know with um, his hands through the net and you know screaming and all that uh chuki you've been watching football since the 80s so maybe there's a goal we have missed which one yeah so i like this question okay i like this question but i'm going to switch mine a bit instead of goals i I think because of what you just said about the net i think it'll be best with moments because there are some moments that just moments what you think about the super egos there's some moments that just stick so then yeah, um, Yakini holding the nets at night in US ninety four yeah. is top one, I think. It's top one. So if there anyone is going to make yeah. a note, I think that's a very, very good one to make a note. Against Bulgaria, yes. Mm-hmm. Another one, which I think is 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 particularly after 
but as someone was mentioning the goals, I was seeing, I just saw memories that I had of those goals. So that's 98 World Cup, only says Rockets against Spain. Not even the goal, forget the goal. I'm sure most people can remember his celebration. Him just running. Yeah, yeah, and like, there yeah. Was, there was yeah. that look, and I don't know if was, I saw it in primary school then or something, but that, that look he had is literally in my it was, head. It was not primary, it was, it was, it was university was, for him. When he was celebrating that goal, there's that. Yeah, no, I was not please that's just I was not investing ninety eight. I was not I was not investing ninety eight, please. That's probably just I wasn't even born in ninety eight, so let's start from there. Well yeah, another one another one that is iconic enough to me, I think it is the um the Agawa's Somersault celebration. The first time we saw it at the Nations Cup. Wasn't it was Nations No, it was the World Cup now, what am I saying? It was a World Cup. The first time he did that, yeah, yeah. multiple summer yeah, two thousand, yeah, two thousand and two World Cup. Yeah. Sorry, I have um, extra addition. I think so. I think that one too games. is very iconic because some of these things are stuck in my head. And this was me at that time when I was still very patriotic with the Super Eagles. Not now that I'm like they, they've so, almost killed all so the patriotism with me when it comes to Nigerian football. So with this tricky list, I have one more that I like to add, and that is the Kano celebration. I was so uh, you know what oh, I yeah, that was like, that that yeah, yeah, yeah celebration. Was... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, I, I think that's iconic. mostly in terms of in terms of yeah, in terms of iconic, I think um we've missed very Yeah, that's the thing. I I don't think you should go with goals for Nigeria because like yes, we have iconic goals, but really what go, iconic goal will you put over the Akini goal? Nigeria's first ever World Cup goal. Uh, there's no, nah, you, you, there's, no there's nothing you can put that. ahead of that. Exactly. So well, but when it goes to moments now, they are in short, you know what eh? Since all the people on our naira are almost all useless. And then you know they want to do this. Not put anybody. They just use footballers. Those are the people that are giving us joy. I don't want to see uh, any fair. fair. Uh, and, and please footballers. don't let them block our podcast to if they give you that See, tricky, I, I will just drop your house address and then please let them carry you instead. <laughs> if they give me that kind um, of celebration, I will take it. Oh, bye, bye. Is there somebody you are missing? Is there is there is there uh, a goal that we are missing? I mean, so uh, uh, the only thing I was going to add, well, you know, um, does some kind of moved us in that direction. Uh, was you know the win- yeah, the, the, the winning yeah. goal from the Olympics. You know the I think I believe it was the semi final. You know, was it the semi final against Argentina or rather against Brazil, where Cano was, was stood Brazil. right in front of the keeper. The ball came into him and he lifted it up. Mm. With, yeah, and, it and he flicked it. Him, it yeah, yeah I, I think that I think that was a brilliant goal as well. Yeah, but I think um, I think is I think uh, those are like backup options, but it feels like unanimous that uh, Rashidi Yakini's celebration—it it was just so special, and it is still special for us. Anyway, moving on to one the main talking okay. point. On if, this. Uh, before okay, before we move on, please. I just thought one more thing. In case, because the way technology is moving now, things change. So if at some point we get to the point where we can start putting gifs or like video on paper. Or we start using digital currency mm. that you can put like a GIF. One thing that I think we should have. Do you remember? Do you guys remember um, Amokachi's goal against Greece in like yes, no. ah. that, that almost oh. took off the net. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I, 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 saw the video years later. Obviously, I wasn't, um, you know, yeah. born then. It's tricky. Like, you just exposed yourself, but <laughs> carry on. No, no, nah, you know, that's the good thing about. No, the but that, that was one hell of a goal. Old. 
Yes, if we have a digital currency that has a video on it, we can have that. You know, funny thing is that Yekini's celebration against Bulgaria was obviously outstanding, but Amokachi also had another celebrate or had a celebration in that same game that was was i guess nicer but wasn't as iconic so when he he went to the corner flag to to like dance and you know and everything uh catching. anyway anyway uh moving over over to uh, the afcon provisional list for the super eagles um i think uh, over the over the weekend he leaked and some of the notable absentees were Maduka Okoye and Leon Balogun. But in the squad, in the 40-man squad, I believe it's the 40-man squad, was Ahmed Musa. So for those who don't know, he now plays for Sivaspor in Turkey. He has played just four games this season. He's completed 90 minutes just once. And he has one goal, which actually came about 10 days ago in the Turkish Cup. Anyway, what are the thoughts on this provisional list? Bearing in mind that this is not the final list. Um, I'll start with you, Dr. Are you looking forward to Ahmed Musa making the final list? <laughs> <laughs> See, um, so this is public space, so I will not say my own few thoughts. I just feel like uh, provisional lists are mostly a waste of everybody's time. Anyway, um, the coach already has probably 20 names down in marker, not pen. Proper pick marker, and it's probably pondering about a few people. I mean, there are six goalkeepers in professional list. The mm-hmm. maximum is going to go with is three, okay, maybe four. So you know that he already has like his mind made up in most of those things. So um, I mean, it's a good one for some of the players that are hoping to make the list. Those are people that are typically not around the list. But with regards to Musa, I just feel like it's one of those scenarios where common sense should prevail. I feel that. Uh, in any department, it's not even the forward positions where we should be susceptible to taking um, extra baggage. Do you understand? I feel like we have a lot of attackers and we're going to even miss out on some of attackers that can actually deliver for us. I think that at this time and age, you should have successfully moved on from um, Ahmed Musa. I hear talk about Swan Song, One Last Ride and all of that, man. The last year has happened since, please. Let's just move on and move on in peace. Thank you and God bless you. <laughs> uh, Chiki, what was your reaction to the list? And uh, is there anyone that you feel should have at least been on this 40-man list that's not there? Or you're okay with the list, apart from uh, Ahmed Musa? Okay, first of all, I won't even join. I won't start, because if we had to start with Ahmed Musa talk, maybe it's uh, NFF that we ban our podcast, not the government. So let's just, I won't get on the Ahmed Musa. But yes, as you said, let sense just prevail. Whoever is listening, let us just be sensible and smart. That's all I will say. For who I'm very, I'm very happy. So for my Sporting Lagos goalkeeper, for Christian getting there, he hasn't even made the national team mm. list there yet. He hasn't made a squad yet. But to be on the provisional list, obviously we know people will be caught. And most likely he's not going to go there. But I think this is just, this is just very good acknowledgement of the work he has done so far. In his time with Sporting Lagos. Same thing for Amas, the Bender. Because remember, if you guys remember the podcast we had where I spoke about some goalkeepers that I thought yeah, yeah. would really work uh-huh. for, like, like the, at least you don't, we don't have anything to lose by trying them. And it was Amas, Obasoje, Christian Nwoke. The other two guys are not here right now, but I'm very sure that they are in the coach's eye. Because if these two can make it, then 
at least we know that Timah has an eye on the goalkeeping position, which he should, to be honest, because there's no number one, which was my main point then. So I'm very, very happy for Christian Nwoke and very happy for Amas Obasoje. Hopefully, Kendi Bankole and Kingdom Osai will get their shouts very soon. But obviously, as Dotun said, there are 20 names on this list that are penciled in, that's carved in stone, not even penciled. Like they, they are carved. So the rest, they're looking for how many puts completed. So whoever makes it, good luck to them. All of these strikers is where I don't even want to get back to Ahmed Musa because there are like five, six of these strikers that should go, but we know most, some of them will not go. And then we will not basically see Ahmed Musa on this list. Hmm. Go there, boss. Go there, boss. Posero, we hear from me. I, I prefer not to speak. Posero, we hear from me. I just prefer not to speak. Uh, bio, like we said, is a provisional list. Um, most times, is there's no need for, there's no cause for alarm. But what's your reaction to what you've seen so far? Um, so, well, uh, like everyone has mentioned, it's a provisional list. Uh, we, I think we can all wait to see what the final list looks like. But please, why? Like, just like, just like, just like you know, you brought up. I don't know what Ahmed Musa is doing on this list. If you ask me, I couldn't tell you for love or money where Ahmed Musa currently plays football. <laughs> So I, I, I don't know what, I actually don't know what he's doing on this list. When you, when you consider the glut of attackers that we have, right? Um, and it seems weird. It seems weird given, you know, what his status in the team was as the former captain. Uh, you know, that, well, I, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't think that he would be included on this list. <laughs> And then subsequently drop. But I think that's the scary <laughs> part. In the provisional list, is listed as the. Country. Oh, I, I didn't even, I didn't even realize that. <laughs> I didn't even. Oh, yeah. God, oh God. Uh, I didn't realize that. Oh. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah, but, um, oh God. You know, so th- these are these are the issues. Um, these are the issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. God, pause. Anyway, any. Yeah. Anyway, um, Ahmed Musa, um, look, we respect you for the four World Cup goals, highest, highest goal scorer for the Super Eagles in World Cup history. We respect you for what you've done. Um, thank you, sir. God bless you, sir. But please, sir, let's the, the lesser the better. Uh, let's just round this, this up. Um, MPFL news, uh, Sporting Lagos, I, I believe they lost this weekend 2 0. Um, who did they lose to Dutton? Okay. This joke that you're trying to crack. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't oh, remember. It was, it was it was never going to fly over my head. <laughs> so you know, typically as a as a sports Lagos fan, once you once we're not going to stay there, once we're away from home, we yeah. already know what's coming. Yeah, we're used true. to it nowadays. We just know mm-hmm. that um best case scenario we get a draw. We see um, draw, we hold it tight. Yeah. Opportunity for Sporting Lagos. They were behind very early, ninety minutes, if I'm not mistaken. Um, tried best. I, I saw the full highlights of the game earlier today. Um, I think they gave it a good goal, and up until they considered penalty in the eighty-seventh minute, I think they were still very much in the game. So it's one of those ones tough to swallow and all of that. But we'll be back. We'll be better on Thursday on Honestly, as much as I'm happy that Rangers won this. I mean, we just keep slipping down the table. I think we're like 12th now or something. And uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Long season ahead. 
Junior Lukosa was one of the most important signings for Sporting Lagos at the beginning of the season, and for a number of reasons. Number one being that in a new league, especially if you're a two-year-old team, you need to sign a couple of established players. So when you want to make subsequent transfers, your prospects are not scared of moving to your team in the sense that, well, you've signed a couple of established players already. So what's the big deal in it? So for you to sign someone that's played in, I think, four or five uh, different Nigerian Premier League teams that has also played outside the country. I think it was very important for Sporting Lagos to get that on their books. That's number one. Number two, um, in as much as we slate Lokosa for um, some under par performances here and there, it's still the second highest goal scoring team, only behind um, Jonathan Aluku, right? And, and even exactly, in the games where exactly no, and even in the games where no, hold on, now. and even in the games where I don't think I started any of Sporting Lagos' four last games. He has come off the bench. Um, I think three times, uh, and he did not play one or, or something like that, right? So, and in those games, Sporting Lagos have also struggled for for goals, right? So, it's not a Lukosa problem; it's mostly Sporting Lagos problem. And I spoke about this right at the beginning of the season, where I felt that Coach Paul had paid more attention to defensive security more than um, adventure going forward, right? So it's his way to start the system. Probably you have a discussion with. Um, with his technical team about that. But that's by the way. Concerning Robert Mizu, so I've had um inside gist, I've had rumors. Um everybody has seen his numbers. Everybody has people have not really put him under the microscope in the sense that you know if you don't watch Nigerian games live, it's difficult to get a full analysis of the game. You probably end up with highlights, you end, you probably end up with um, action moments and all of that. On Thursday Robert Mizu will be live at Onikon Stadium. Biosa, Sports Lagos was Biosa United. So it's mostly, um, it can be an audition, right? That's the type of performance that he puts in and everybody goes, you know how pressure from social media and all of that now, this is a footballer, this is a star, this is a this, this is a that. If you consider the fact that Sports Lagos have not lost at home yet this season, and Robert Mizzo, for example, Robert Mizzo comes to Nicole Stadium, puts in, one of the match performers probably scores three goals or something and Bayosa win 3-1 there's no there's no running around that right it's going to be full on pressure and say oh this is who the fans want this is what they want especially given um, the lack of goals in the team I think Sporting Lagos have scored maybe 13 or 14 goals this season they scored 12 goals actually 12 goals in 13 games right so definitely it's not good enough so, right, so that's what, let me you, I don't want to forget what I was going to quickly tell you here yeah. Yes, oh, okay. your points before about the fact that the team is not scoring goals is a big issue. 
why I'm even asking for Mizo. Because Mizo, just like you, I saw when Locos, when they signed Locosa, I was doing Super 8 and we had Super 8 together. And I remember thinking, wow, you are a young team, obviously, coming to the league for the first time and you get a big name in the Nigerian league like Junior Locosa. Like that is big for the club, for the fans, for even the players. Because most of those players, well, before they started signing, some of who that they got, during the Super 8, they had a bunch of um, first time, I don't want to say first time, but they were not seasoned players in the Nigerian league. So for those players, I, at the time I thought, okay, having someone as big as Junior Lokusa, that most of you have been watching lead the league and do things around Nigeria for a while, it will be that boost. But it hasn't turned out to be like that. Which is why I'm asking for Mizo, because the last four games you mentioned, yes, Lokusa hasn't started. But Lokusa has two goals in the last four games, yeah? And and Jonathan too didn't start any of those four games. So basically, once Jonathan is not available, or Lokosa is not available, there's almost no goals. And obviously, we know what Jonathan is. As, as he's probably my favorite sporting Lagos player to watch because he's all action. But I have never looked at him and seen a goal scorer. Maybe he's my course as an Arsenal fan. I have Jesus for Arsenal. I have Junior. I have Jonathan Aluko for Sporting Lagos. But I can also see him and think, oh, this is my 10, 15 goal a season goal scorer in the Nigerian league. But now, Ruben Mizu has proven now that he's he has nine goals now. I think he's the top of the top of the table right now. For a team that is bottom of the league, so that that's my that's my argument. But yes, you are right. We'll see him on Thursday. I will also be there on Thursday, so we'll watch him and see if really if maybe the numbers align with what we will see with our eyes. Because Sporting Lagos need to do something about their goal scoring. It's too bad. Twelve in thirteen or twelve in twelve, as you said, is insane for a team hoping to stay in the league. Thankfully, we are not. But you know, as Nigeria is, anything can change, and our home form maybe will help us. But yeah, we we uh, there's a lot to be done with that. Uh, all right, guys, that's going to be it for this episode of the pod. Uh, thanks for listening. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review when you can. That's very important for us. Follow us on all social media platforms to keep the conversation going. And have a very dirty December, guys. Cheers. Cheers.